Welcome to the Gospel Saves podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. I'm Wade Stanley, an evangelist with the Church of Christ. Please visit thegospelsaves.me for blogs, videos, and Bible studies. You can also find The Gospel Saves on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Peacefully solving our disputes with others requires a willingness to give, a willingness to compromise, a willingness to overlook offenses. We like to hold on to our grievances, to allow our sense of victimization to slowly evolve into bitterness and resentment. Jesus shows us a better way, a harder way to be sure, but a better way nonetheless. Seeking peace with our enemies, wishing them well, treating them with honor and respect helps us imitate the example of our Heavenly Father. And so Jesus urges us to a greater righteousness, to be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. On our last program, we left off in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. When we find ourselves in conflict with other people, we need to be willing not to return the punch. We need to be willing to, to give up something in order to, to make peace. And this is really what Jesus is driving toward at the conclusion of this particular section in the Sermon on the Mount, is this willingness to make peace. In verse 43, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. We've noted on several different occasions how Jesus urges us toward peace. He says the sons of God are peacemakers. He says that God wants us to settle our problems with each other, even if it means delaying our worship of him. He says that we need to be willing to take a punch and not return it. And all this is pointing toward these final verses in Matthew chapter 5. It was taught under the old law that a person was to love their neighbor and hate their enemy. But Jesus says that there is a greater love, a love that goes beyond just simply getting along with those who are close to you. He says the greater love is to love your enemy. You know, the political landscape right now is, is very divisive. And there's a lot of animosity in our political rhetoric these days. And it seems to me that the Christians are really struggling with this concept of loving their enemies. I hear it in their words. I read it in their statements on social media like Facebook. I just get this sense that people are really failing when it comes to showing the love of Christ to those who oppose them. But my brethren, my friends, God calls us to love our enemies. This is the love that Jesus showed toward other people. Remember as he hung on the cross, Jesus prayed for his accusers. He prayed for those who were mocking him. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That last part, for they know not what they do, that's such an important perspective, isn't it? 
So many people who oppose Christianity really don't know what they're doing. They don't really understand the spirit of Christ. And how could they? They are of the world, and he is not of the world. But it's up to us as disciples of Jesus to recognize that people who oppose us don't really understand what they're doing. They may think that they do, but in reality, they don't. And so Jesus says, bless those who curse you. When a person curses the name of Christ, when a person curses you as a Christian, what are you to do? To bless them. Bless them. He says, do good to those who hate you. Have you ever been around someone who obviously hated you? I know I have. And it's extremely uncomfortable, isn't it? He says, do good to those people. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Bless, do good, and pray. Now, our natural inclination is to be like those under the old law. To get the eye for the eye or the tooth for the tooth. To trade blows to be willing to fight. But this is not the attitude that Jesus upholds. No. He says, bless, do good, and pray. Why? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You see, when you do good to your enemies, when you love your enemies, you are imitating your heavenly Father. Think of all the good that God does to those who hate him. I remember some time ago I was having a conversation with an atheist who was just very, very angry. That day I think he was angry at me but I don't think it was really me that he was angry at. I think that there were problems in his past that had led him to this point. But I couldn't help but think afterwards, even though he hates what I stand for, even though he just doesn't understand, even though he thinks it's foolishness, God still treats him with kindness and mercy and does many good things for him. This young man had a, a keen intellect. He was obviously intelligent. This is a blessing from God. This young man was in good health as far as I could tell. Once again, that's a blessing from God. This young man was, was breathing. He was alive. Well, that's something that's good from God. And so the very God that he doubted, the very God that he was resisting and railing against, that same God was doing him all sorts of good as he and I exchanged ideas on that day. 
You see, God sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. You don't have to look around at the different farms in order to determine who's the righteous and who's the unrighteous. Well, you can't tell that on the basis of where the rain falls. The rain falls on both the good and the bad. God gives a bountiful harvest even to the wicked. And this is something that is very difficult for Christians to understand. Why is it that God does good to the wicked? Why does he allow them to prosper? It's because the goodness of God is intended to lead man to repentance. If you go over to the second chapter of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 2, Paul says this, And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Now here, Paul is addressing hypocrisy. There were Jews who looked on the Gentile world and saw all the debauchery and condemned those people for it, while at the same time, they themselves were guilty in the eyes of God. Paul says, if you're guilty of such hypocrisy, you are despising the good things of God. Rather than focus on the wickedness of these men, focus instead on the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Don't compare yourself to them. And don't think that you are greater than them. Instead, be glad that God is good toward all of us and recognize that that goodness is drawing us to repentance. It's easy for Christians to look around at those who are not of the faith and wonder why is it that they are living in the big house? Why is it that they are the ones who are prospering when I'm struggling to get by. Well, my friends, don't forget that this world is ruled by sin, that greed and covetousness are the way to get ahead in this world. So not always do the wicked prosper because this is a blessing from God. Sometimes it's ill-gotten gain. But also... Can you not see that God's goodness toward all mankind is there in order to draw all men to him? If God was just mean, God was wrathful, if God gave us what we deserved when we deserved it, not a, lot, not a one of us would be alive, including those who call on the name of the Lord. So don't look at your neighbor and think about, well, that guy's wicked. That guy is full of sin, and yet here he is, he has all these things. Why is God being good to him? Instead, just recognize that God strives to be good toward all men, even those who hate him. And this takes us back to Christ's original point, which is, if you want to be like your heavenly father, then you need to love your enemies. When it gets to verses 46 and 47, there's no mistaking his meaning. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? It's easy to love those who love you. It's easy to get along with those that you like. But in that respect, we're no different than the wicked person because they act the same way. No, what separates the Christian, what separates the follower of God is their willingness to bless, to do good, to pray for their enemies. Because when they do so, they are following the example of their heavenly Father. Therefore, Jesus concludes, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You see, there is a greater righteousness than was taught under the old law. It's a righteousness that is of the heart. It is a righteousness that is rooted in an attitude, in a perspective of recognizing that God has called us to a higher plane of living, to a greater morality, to a deeper love. And that's what Jesus is driving toward in the Sermon on the Mount, that our righteousness might exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Saves podcast. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find Acapeldridge on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know His perfect will. Be